Well, as the kids dismiss, this morning, as you can see by the bulletin, we're going to be in the book of Galatians. Galatians chapter 1 is where we find ourselves this morning, and as Wayne has said, really it's about not messing with his message, and we tend to do this, we can do this, so we'll get into that. But the message that we're talking about is the message of the Gospel. Whenever the Gospel is proclaimed, lives are transformed. Whenever the Gospel is proclaimed, lives are transformed not by our own power, but by the power of the cross. That's the power of the Gospel message. The power of Christ who died and brings us new life. When someone comes to faith in Christ, Scripture says that they have the indwelling Holy Spirit who now lives within them to allow them to live differently. We see Paul talks about this further on in Galatians. Galatians chapter 2.20, he says, I have been crucified with Christ. The life I live, I no longer live... Uh, it's, uh, let's see here. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. That's what it says. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. That's the Gospel message. But see, as powerful as the Gospel is to change and to transform, the Gospel message finds limitations. Now those limitations are us. The ears that hear the Gospel message, the life that lives the Gospel message, the limitation is us. We're feeble in our faith. We're feeble in our understanding. That's the limitation of the Gospel. Yet, we see that the Gospel message does transform. We see pictures of this in the New Testament. We find the disciples who were once cowering that couldn't even make it to the foot of the cross. They were cowering and dispersed once the resurrected Christ shows Himself to them. Their lives are transformed and changed. They go with new power and emboldened to go proclaim the Word. We also see the Apostle Paul, a Pharisee, someone who was living a life of legalism, living by his own ways and his own rules. Once Christ comes and kicks him off his horse and reveals Himself to him, he is transformed. But on an even more personal level, I appreciate it whenever we have people come and they give their testimony. I really love the raw expression of who I used to be. Then Christ came, and this is who Christ is and what He did. And now, who I am in Christ. I love hearing that whenever somebody comes and is added in in membership to this church or when we baptize somebody through believer's baptism, it's just encouraging to the soul to hear that message. But again, it's limited. It's limited by us. You see, there are two. Whenever the gospel is proclaimed, there are two errors that we can fall into. Two errors that keep someone from coming in and understanding the true gospel. I'm going to call this error law, and this error over here on this side license. We talked a little bit about this that this morning in our Sunday school class, and we're going to hit on that significantly a lot more this morning. I wish I could tell you though that when somebody comes to faith in Christ, that, that, gospel, that the, they fully understand the Gospel and that the error of law and that the error of license go away. But that's not the case. What happens is the road seems to narrow a bit. And this ditch becomes more pronounced as well as this ditch. We've got to stay away from law and stay away from license. This morning, time simply will not allow me to dive into all of the texts that we have in Galatians 1. So I'm going to focus on three main subject areas. 
Really, what I'm looking at is the gospel, its definition. We'll find that in six through eight. The gospel, our transformation, verses twelve through fourteen, and the gospel and its global declaration, verses fifteen and sixteen. But before we approach our text this morning, it's important to understand the issues surrounding the context of why Paul is writing this letter. Why even write this letter to the churches in Galatia? Well, what had happened was he had visited. But shortly after that, after he preached the gospel to them and they came to faith, there were some uh, false teachers that would come and pervert and distort the gospel of Christ. They would pervert it into the ditch that I'm introducing and the ditch of law. They would say, Jesus is not enough. You need Jesus plus obedience to all of the law, the Mosaic law. We see Acts uh, chapter 15 is where we see this beginning it, it talks about some Judaizers who came, to, who came, and this is what they were saying. Unless you are circumcised, according to the customs of Moses, you cannot be saved. See, that is completely different than the true Gospel. It's completely different than what you will hear this morning. But Paul stands up to them, confronts them in Acts 15, and at the end of that confrontation, he goes and he seeks uh, further counsel with elders and with uh, the, the other apostles. And Peter confirms and says exactly that. Peter will go on to say, why are we putting a yoke on the necks of these disciples that neither we nor our fathers have been able to bear? But we believe that we will be saved through grace of the Lord Jesus just as they will. So in other words, Peter's saying, no, it's not the keeping of the law that is going to save anyone. The law's only purpose was to break our legs, point us to Christ, and they will be saved through grace just as we have been. Yet, the teaching of these Judaizers had begun to take hold. And that is why Paul is writing this letter that we're looking at, this letter of Galatians. Please stand with me as we read Galatians. I'll be looking at chapter 1, verse 3 through 16. That's found on page 1151 in the Pew Pocket Bible. I'll be reading out of the ESV, the English Standard Version. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave Himself for our sins to deliver us from this present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever. Amen. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting Him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who would trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we... Or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preached to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, now I say again, if anyone preaches to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Am I trying to please man? If I still were trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. For I would have you know, brothers that the gospel that was preached to you is not man's gospel, for I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age. Among my people, so extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my father's. But when He who set me apart before I was born and who called me by His grace 
was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. Let's pray. Almighty God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for uh, the word and how it opens us up and how it reveals more of yourself and yet more of us. And we see that amazing disconnect, the amazing expanse that exists between a holy God and a sinful man. But yet it proclaims much more than that. It proclaims that there is salvation in Christ. And for that we're grateful. Lord, we ask that your Holy Spirit come and visit us this morning as I preach and as we hear your words spoken, Lord, I ask that your Holy Spirit makes much of your Son and that we fall short. We recognize the shortcomings of ourselves and that we praise Him. Lord, we ask again that you visit us and let your words be spoken. And it's in Christ's beautiful name that we pray. Amen. Please be seated. Verse 3, Paul wastes absolutely no time in getting to the Gospel. He begins with grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Understand that Paul is so Christocentric, so Gospel-saturated, that he can't even get past a greeting and he's already gotten to the Gospel. You see, grace is the root of the Gospel. And peace is the fruit of the Gospel. The gospel begins with grace and is all of grace. That God has chosen you and that He has done so completely, not on anything that you've done, but has shown favor to you and forgiven you based on all of Jesus Christ's work. But more than forgiveness, you've now been adopted as sons so that we no longer cower in fear when we consider our place and our standing between a holy God. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ, Paul would say. That is grace. And that's how he greets them. Grace to you. And then he follows that with peace. Peace is, again, the fruit of the Gospel. Peace is what we all long for at some level, right? At some ethereal level, everybody wants peace on earth. But the reality is this. We need more than just peace on earth. We need more than peace on the playground or peace between classmates. We need more than peace between marriages and more than peace between ethnicities and more than peace between nations. The reality is individually and collectively, humanity, all of us, needs peace between an infinite, holy God and a sinful man. And that is how he greets them. Grace and peace. But then he goes on to say, from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. That is how this peace is made possible. Through Jesus Christ. And look, verse 4, who gave Himself for our sins to deliver us from this present evil age and look according to the will of God the Father. That alone, I would love to unpack and, and make that a message all unto itself, but time won't allow me to get into all of that. But please, at a high level, consider this. Jesus gave Himself. He gave Himself willingly and voluntarily. We use this language, don't we? We use this language when, when we marry. We say, well, I'm given in marriage or, or I give of myself in marriage. But if we can be honest with ourselves, we marry for selfish motives. We enjoy what we have in that other person. We appreciate what they bring to the table. We appreciate how they make me a better person. 
they complete me, right? That's the, the old thing. You know, for some of you, that's a, that's a Jerry Maguire reference, and I just dated myself a bit. Kids, you can Google that. Um, but anyways, you might be thinking, no, 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 that's not the case, Dave. I'm not that selfish. I married for something differently. I got married because of fill in your blank. But the fact is this, you married because they were loving or lovely or something of that nature. But notice Christ gave Himself willingly and voluntarily. Not for a loving people. Not for a lovely people. He gave Himself willingly and voluntarily. Not even for an undeserving people. But for an ill-deserving people. It's not that we didn't deserve anything. We deserved His wrath. We deserved righteous anger towards us. Did we not? But look, look at why. Why did we deserve this righteous wrath and anger? He gave Himself for our sins. It continues on. Your sin and mine, whether, whether you believe it or not, feel it or not, agree with it or not, all of humanity is guilty of the greatest sin. We're all guilty of the blasphemy that God speaks of. You see, infinite Creator God created all things. He created everything from the stars to the trees to all of the underwater creatures to give Him glory and praise. To be an, a reflection of His creativity and His honor and His glory. And then He creates humanity as His ultimate expression. The culmination of all of creation is man to give Him honor, glory, and praise. But what do we do? We choose to put ourselves on the throne. He gives us mind to reason with, air to breathe, minds to think and to honor Him with, and yet we put ourselves on the throne. We reject His rule and His reign all the while doing it with the gifts He's given us, with each day that He gives us. But God will respond to that belittlement in judgment. If He did not respond in judgment to such belittlement, that would be further belittlement of His glory, of His name and His praise. And He responds primarily in hell. And while hell is wildly unpopular today, the fact is hell is real and eternity is long. But for the believer, for the church, Christian, that is not your reality. You see, the reality is this. You are seen as perfect, spotless, holy, and blameless in God's sight. But again, not because of anything that we've done. Not because of anything that we've done at all. So if you're not a Christian this morning and you're not a believer and you think to yourself, look at these self-righteous people. Not at all. Because it's not anything that we've done. It's all of Christ and what He has done. Verse 5, to whom be the glory forever. Amen. You see, he gets, can't wait to get to the Gospel. All of his introduction is saturated in Gospel. Now, whenever the goodness of the Gospel is proclaimed, it can be misunderstood. And that's how I started. It can be misunderstood with the ditch of law and the ditch of license. Two errors. Error number one, law. That God's goodness of the Gospel, when it's proclaimed that God would forgive me, not based on anything that I've done, but based on everything Christ has done, Wow, that's just too good to be true. It can't be too easy. It's not that easy. It can't be that way. You might be thinking, surely I need to do something. Surely I need to clean myself up. Surely I can't go before God with this in my life. I will deal with this and then I will come to God. I've heard that before. I've heard 
you know what, Dave? That's not true. That's not right. I've heard people tell me, I grew up going to church and that's not how it was proclaimed. You see, the Bible is my rule book to life that I needed to do what it says in order for God to see me as acceptable. I needed to keep its laws and keep its rules that it was my roadmap to life. And that is what I was told. But you know what? That is not the truth of the Gospel. Yes, there are maps in the Bible. You'll find them in the very, very back of your Bible. But it's not a map for you. It's not an instruction manual for life. The Bible tells the story of Christ from beginning to end. The story of, of Christ, what He's done through creation. Then we fall. Then He comes and promises of, of a Redeemer to come. And then He comes and then all of the implications of that Redeemer, of Christ. It's all about Him. It's not about us. You see, the mentality is this. That Jesus and what He has done may be good enough to get us in, but it's our work and our rules and our keeping of good things and bad things that keeps us in. It's a mentality that says Jesus plus the law. Jesus plus communion. Jesus plus baptism. Jesus plus my rule keeping. Jesus plus my right standing. Jesus plus my service. That's what it takes to make God pleased with me. If that's what you're believing, if that's what you're hearing, if that's what you've heard, that's a false gospel. And Paul gets into that. He calls it man's gospel, and that is not God's gospel. Maybe this morning you find yourself living by a spiritual checklist of do's and don'ts, and yet you do so for the wrong motives. Do you find yourself being prideful of your devotion to Him? Your time in the Word? Your service? Do you pride yourself on your knowledge of biblical principles? Do you think that God's devotion for you or God's delight in you is based on your devotion for Him? If that's the case, you've got to be tired of your rule-keeping, of your law-abidingness. Because you know what? Our devotion to Him wavers. But church, I'm here to tell you that's not the Gospel. His devotion to you, His delight of you is not based on your performance for Him, but it's all based on His performance for you. You see, running on your own steam leaves you tired and powerless. And the fact is this, it's only when you realize that the Gospel has nothing to do with you and your obedience, but it's all of Christ and Christ's obedience for you, that you can then start to obey. That is the error of law. Next is the error of license. You can misunderstand the Gospel to be law, all about law and rule keeping, and that's what makes me right. Or you can misunderstand it to be the error of license. When the Gospel is proclaimed and understood, it's this, that Jesus paid for my sins, past, present, and future, and because of Christ, all of my sins are paid for? Wow, that is good news! Right? Somebody could misunderstand that and think, I'm free to go sin any way I want. Jesus paid it all. All to Him I owe. Sin will leave a crimson stain. But that's okay because I'm good to go. That is an error of license. And that, again, is not the good news of the Gospel. But let me clarify this on two points. To say for the believer that Jesus has paid all of our sins, past, present, and future, is correct. That is true. He has paid it all. That's why He can proclaim it is finished on the cross. However, 
to think that that makes you free to go sin any way you want just means that you really have misunderstood the grace that was freely offered. You see, and I fear that many within Christendom today are simply relying on this false gospel. If you were to ask someone, do you know Jesus is your Savior? Oh yeah, I prayed a prayer when I was a kid. Yep, I do. Well, do you read your Bible? Oh yeah, I've got like six of them. Do you go to church anywhere? Yeah, you know the one right across from Miller's over there, the big white one? That's my church. And then you ask, well, can you tell me about your relationship with Christ? And they'll say, I just did. I just did. I was saved as a kid. I have a few Bibles and I go to church. But the fact is this, if there is no heart transformation in you, no change in you, no desire for the things of God, no desire for fellowship with the people of God, no affection for Christ, no desire to be conformed to His image and His likeness, that's not biblical Christianity. You see, nowhere in the Bible do you find terms like accept Jesus into your heart or sinner's prayer. It is simply more than that. Putting our faith in Christ and His finished work. It's not just a prayer. If we were to summarize this in other words, it would be this. God loves me just as I am and He's pleased to leave me there. Right? But simply consider this. Sin destroys. Sin kills. Sin destroys homes, marriages, families, individuals. And God knows this. And for God to simply be content to leave you there, how wicked would that be? To give you an analogy of this, just consider being at a park with your kids. Parents, grandparents, you're at a park, you take your kids there, and you strike up a conversation with another proud mother or father. A little parent is there telling you about little Johnny and how great little Johnny is, right? And they're telling you, and you're watching all these kids play, and they're telling you all about little Johnny and what he's done. And you go, well, where is Johnny? Is he playing over here? And she says, no, Johnny's over there in the intersection playing dodgeball with cars. Look at him go. He's quick. You say, no, what are you talking about? No, that's, that's dangerous out there. Parents, we don't do that. We don't let our kids play in traffic. You grab that kid and you bring him on by and you say, do that again and you're going to get spanked. Do that again or you might end up like roadkill. Seriously, we don't allow for that. Why? Because there's danger in the intersection. There's danger being out there. If we do that as parents or grandparents, think of what God does. God's desire for you, keeping you from sin. God's rules when He talks about your money, your marriage, your life, your parenting. All of those things. When He speaks to those things, He's not trying to rob you or steal happiness from you. He's trying to keep you safe and lead you into fullness of joy to bring Him honor and to bring Him glory and to bring Him praise. As we talk about this ditch of license, maybe that describes you more than you ever thought this morning. And you consider, yeah, maybe, maybe that's, that would summarize my Christian experience and my Christian life and there is no things of God. But I would encourage you, if that's you this morning and you're being pressed by the Word and by these, uh, this, this presentation of the Gospel, I would encourage you that God is working and God is yet drawing you. Alright. You see, the Judaizers, these false teachers that came in in Galatians, were teaching error number one. They were teaching that Jesus plus is what you need for salvation. And this is what 
Paul would have to say in verse 6. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting Him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but that some would trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. At this point in Paul's letters, if you're familiar with them, he has encouraging words. He would say, I give thanks to my God always for you in my prayers. Or, I do not cease to thank, think of you and give thanks for you remembering you in my prayers. But Paul would have absolutely no encouraging words for the Galatians in this letter. And the reason for that is, the matter at hand was of primary importance. The situation was too great. The perversion was too enormous. The outlook was too bleak. You see, they were misunderstanding the Gospel. The Gospel of Jesus Christ was being distorted. And it was being undermined in such a way that some of the church, some of the believers, would begin to believe that idea. And he spends the whole book unpacking what it means to truly believe in Christ and the implications of that for us. So here Paul is saying, I just can't believe it. I can't understand this at all in you. I was just with you. I can't understand why you're deserting Him who called you. Notice that a distortion of the Gospel is a, desert, is a desertion of God. In other words, turning away, that desertion is elsewhere described as a military term, as a military revolt. It's not just stepping back, but completely changing sides and taking the enemy's side. That's what this term means. To forsake the Gospel is to forsake God entirely. If we could be honest with ourselves, and I don't know that we can be, but if you stop and consider this, even for a moment, we secretly feel that and we believe that if we spend time in the Word, we spend time in prayer, we serve in any way possible in our church and our communities, that God would look upon us and be happy with us. Right? You go through your day and, and at the end of the day you consider, wow, it was a really good day. And then you think to yourself, well, yeah, it was a good day. I woke up and was in the Word and I kissed my wife on the way out and I didn't yell at anybody in traffic today and I was able to share Jesus with a friend. Of course, of course it turns out to be a good day. I did some good things. Right? Or you think to yourself on the, other, on the flip side of that, that phone call comes that says the test results are positive or something of that nature. The call comes and you say, why God? Why would this happen to me? Why would you allow this to come in my life? Those are ways in which we believe our standing and our, our delight, that God's delight in us is based on what it is that we do or don't do. But that's not the case. God brings these things into our life to push us and to make us and to make us trust more in Christ. Paul continues on and says, says here in verse 8, but if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel contrary to the one that you received, let him be accursed. Paul is saying, cursed is the man who comes preaching anything other than the message of the gospel. He says, I don't even care if it's me. If I come back preaching another message, let him be accursed. Is there any confusion? There's no room for error there. God, he leaves no room for error of how serious it is. 
You see, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus is the only way to God. It is foundational for the life of the Christian and foundational for the life of the church. Yet in today's culture, what would happen is this. We're seen as narrow-minded when we say that biblical Christianity is true. Because implied in that statement is that anything contrary is not true. But the truth of Scripture is this. That Jesus is either our only way to God, or He is no way at all. He is either our only hope, or we have no hope at all. He is either our only source of righteousness, or we have no righteousness at all. If you consider, consider this, if there was any other way, don't you think the Father would have said that to the Son when Jesus was pleading for Him in the garden saying, if there be another way, let this cup pass from Me. Nevertheless, not My will, but Yours be done. If there was any other way, why the cross? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through Me. And Peter would later say in Acts, and there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name given under heaven among men by which we must be saved. So you see, the Gospel, Christianity, is exclusive because that's how God has made it. That's how God has presented it. If there was any other way, the cross would not make sense. Verse 13. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. You see, the power in, man, in God's Gospel, not man's Gospel, the power in God's Gospel is the offer that's on the table yet this morning. That regardless of how you came in, this morning, you can have, just as Paul says, a former life. And I used to story. And as we've looked at these two errors, the error of law and rule keeping and trusting in myself, or the error of license, of I'm free to go do whatever I want, I'm free to live in absolute sin because of Christ. If you've believed and are walking in one of those, the offer on the table yet this morning is no, that you can live right in the center of the of will of God. You can trust in the Gospel. That's what's so interesting as we look at this passage as Paul talks of his former life, how he persecuted the church, is that he outdoes you on both counts, law and license. He's such an interesting case study as you look at him. If you find yourself trusting in your good Christian rule-keeping, Paul was much more better than you. That's just the case. He was much better than you. You see, it doesn't matter if you grew up going to Sunday school and you had all of the badges or church pins or whatever it is that they gave you. Paul has more pins than you do when it comes to keeping the law or keeping the rule. We read his resume in Philippians 3 where he talks of himself as a Hebrew of Hebrews. A Pharisee of Pharisees. He's the next up-and-comer. And he talks here in this passage advancing beyond those his own age. And he would call himself blameless when it comes to the law. Now, I can't imagine, I've never spoken to anyone that would have, be able to say of themselves, I'm blameless. But Paul would. That's what he does. 
But then He also outdoes you in your wickedness. You see, I would contest that. You could look anywhere around the world and you'll never find a man more indignant to the things of God than Paul. When the Bible introduces him for the first time, old boy Saul, Pharisee Saul, what's he doing? He is out there hunting and killing Christians. He is seeking permission to go and expand and hunt and kill more Christians, more believers, to put them in prison and to persecute them and to kill them. So you might find somebody just as wicked, but they're right up there with Paul. See, that's how, the gospel, that's how the Bible introduces him, and that's why he is such an interesting study. When you look at his rule-keeping, it's greater than yours. When you look at his wickedness, it's far beyond yours. But see, look at what he says here when he talks of the traditions of his fathers. That's a tagline for the law of Moses. It means the law. So he is saying, so extremely zealous was I for the law that I broke the law to protect and defend the law. So zealous was I for the law of Moses that I broke the law of Moses to protect and defend the law of Moses. Do you see the irony in that? The hypocrisy in that? But that's what we do when we trust in ourselves. You have to play these kind of silly games of of hypocrisy. But as we look, as you consider yourself this morning, and I would challenge you, no matter how you've come in here, maybe you've been running in pursuit of the things of this world, the happiness that this world has to offer, just to find that more stuff and things that you already have will not fill you. More stuff and things that you already have doesn't fill your need for joy, need for purpose, need for, need for uh, longing or, or, or fill that longing, right? Because in the end, you're trusting in stuff and things of future garage sales. Trusting in your rule-keeping doesn't get you there either. And that's what Paul presents for us. And that's the offer on the table yet this morning, that your past can be your past. That God can remake, can renew, and can restore. Because that's what He does. If you're in, in the book of Galatians, a couple pages over, I think it's page 1165, is Colossians 1. I would invite you to turn there. If you don't have a Bible, please grab one of the pew pocket Bibles in front of you. If you don't own a Bible, please take that one as a gift. We want you to have one. And it's also here on the next slide here. Colossians 1, 16-20. Uh, verse 16, For by Him, Jesus, all things were created. All things includes everything. And, and it goes on, In heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, any doubt, all things. Things you see, things you can't. Whether thrones or dominions, rules or authorities, all things were created through Him and, listen, for Him. Verse 19, For in Him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through Him to reconcile all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. You see, God is restoring all things. He's restoring this earth is broken and fallen because of sin. But there will come a day when He will restore. That's His job. That's what He will do. And He is inviting us, and yet this morning, yet today, can restore and renew a life. So I don't care if every adjective of your life is dark and dreary. God can remake and renew and restore. 
or I don't care if you've been trusting in your own rule keeping to make you a good Christian. God, you've been relying on a false gospel and God will renew and restore. Back to Galatians 1, verse 15. But when He who set me apart before I was born, who called me by His grace, was pleased to reveal His Son to me. He who set me apart before I was born. We have to handle that. I can't just go beyond that. I can't pass through that. I have to handle that text. We've got to do something with that. And the fact is this, that at some point in eternity past, God considered you, and for no other reason than His loving grace, He decided to set you apart. And then you come on the scene, live your life, try to live your life your own way, try to run things the way you see best. But at some point that God determined, He reveals Himself to you. Unveils Himself. That's what this is saying here. You've been set apart before you were born. Ephesians 1 says, He chose us in Him before the foundations of the world. Listen, to be holy and blameless before Him. And I know that could be controversial for some, but don't let it be anything of controversy. Let it be something of delight. Consider that God looked upon you, saved you, has given you grace so that you can be holy and blameless before Him. That speaks of His... And consider also the fact that He lets you run in silliness in pursuit of things much smaller than Him before He calls you by His grace. I, just, I consider myself, when I read this, I consider myself growing up in a Christian home, growing up in a, in a Christian family, growing up going to church, knowing the right answers to every question, raising my hand first and saying, Jesus! Right? Because that's the answer typically. Right? But yet, all the while, not loving Him. Not pursuing Him. And yet, growing up a little further and being rebellious to Him. Rebellious to the things of God. And that God would, in His grace, reveal Himself to me. Now that reality really overwhelms. But it gets even bigger when you look at it and it says this. He set me apart before I was born. Verse 16. He was pleased to reveal the Son to me. It brought the heart of God pleasure to reveal the Son to me and to you yet this morning. There are some passages in Scripture that just that I sit and I consider and I, that, that grip me. One of them is Jesus speaking to the woman at the well when it says that God is seeking worshipers. We just read everything was created by Him, for Him, visible, invisible. So what is He seeking that He doesn't already have? But yet, the Bible says God is seeking worshipers. That one, again, I consider and it grips me. Another one that we read this morning that we focused on. 1 Corinthians 15, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the Gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you now stand, and by which you are being saved. The Gospel was already received, but yet it was proclaimed again to these believers. So they could stand in it, and so they could be further saved by it. The gospel in which you now stand and by which you are being saved. The gospel is not just for the unbeliever, for the lost, but it is for the church. It's for the Christian. It's for us 
to be reminded continually. And we need to be reminded because we forget it every day. We, we get lost in our day in things that are much lesser than eternal, much lesser than what really matters. And we need to be reminded every day when we sin that the fact is that sin's been paid for. The fact is God saw pleasure in revealing His Son to you. You see, the hard work of Christian growth is to think less of ourselves and our performance for Him and more of Christ and His performance for us. Ironically, when we focus on ourselves and our need to get better, we actually get worse. Martin Luther puts it this way in his lecture on Romans, to progress is always to begin again. The reality of Christian progress is this. It requires a daily going back. We don't just need the work of Christ to get us in. We need His righteousness to keep us in. And it's only His righteousness that will carry us home. And lastly, the phrase that we have, this phrase, that God was pleased to reveal the Son to me. Now look, I know me. I know me. And I don't bring any value to the table. At all. It's Super Bowl Sunday, so I'll give you this. I'll give you the Super Bowl analogy. It's not like God is up in heaven looking at the passage of time and He's going, what do we need in 2012 and 13? And then He calls the holy huddle, calls them in. Holy Spirit and Jesus, Jesus, great job on that last one. Way to take it to the cross. Spirit, we need Dave. We need Him. So go out. Reveal yourself to Him. That's not... That's not God. That's not Him calling a holy huddle because He needs me. I bring no value at all. I know this. If anything, I'm just pleased to be the one spoken of in 1 Corinthians. Not many of you were wise. Not many were powerful. Not many of noble birth. But God shows what is foolish. God shows what is weak. God God shows what was low and despised, to bring to nothing the things that are, so that no human being would boast in His presence. So if anything, I'm just pleased to be the fool, pleased to be the low and the weak, but at least I am God's fool, God's low and weak. Christian, this morning, consider yourself. Consider what do you bring to the table? What, what could God say, oh, I needed to bring Him. Great, we needed that added value to the team. Consider that. And finally, you'll come to that conclusion that I have. We bring absolutely nothing. And that should cause you to well up with joy and awe and gratitude for Him who called you and found pleasure in saving you. Now let's keep going. I love the significance in this next portion. He was pleased to reveal the Son to me in order that I might preach Him among the Gentiles. So now you have the pleasure of God in revealing the Son to Paul. And he's going to use Paul in amazing ways that Paul never thought imaginable. Right? Now if you consider what we already know of Paul. Paul is the Hebrew of Hebrew, Hebrew, Pharisee of Pharisees. If you and I were picking, if you and I saw this resume and Paul says, I'd love to be a missionary. I'd love to go plant churches around the world. And we read this. We see... He knows the laws. He knows the customs. He knows their traditions. He knows the dietary rules of this people. You know where we would send them? Jerusalem. Absolutely. But that's not what God does. God sends them to the Gentiles. The people He doesn't quite understand. He can't quite 
fully understand their thinking, their logic, their reasoning, but God chooses to send him there. That has some implications for you and me yet today in 2013. You see, because we tend to think of ourselves in much smaller ways than God can use men. We tend to think of ourselves and limit ourselves by what we have, what we possess, what we think we're skilled at or good at. But God can use you in amazing ways. Again, we see Paul had been schooled, had been learned in all of this, and God chooses to send him to the Gentiles. So as we consider that, you have been been uniquely wired, uniquely gifted, uniquely placed in your workplace, in your neighborhoods, in your setting, in your circle of, of influence, if you will, so that you might reflect the grace and the mercy of Jesus in ways around you that only you can. Consider those implications for your life because we tend to think of ourselves in much smaller ways and we get bored through our life and through our days. But you know what? We're, we're paying, playing a bigger picture here and God is the one who is empowering us to do what He has called us to do in, in areas where only we can. And you know what? For others of you, you might be called in a way, you might be drawn to something else, something greater. You might be called to global missions. You might be uneasy where you find yourself and you find yourself interested in the things of God happening overseas and you think to yourself, that can't be me. I'm not gifted in that. I don't know that language. Again, we have Paul and Paul being used in amazing ways by God. And he was sent to the Gentiles. So as I close, I would ask Eric to come on up. Consider this reality. Consider this. Where are you putting your hope? Are you putting your hope in your rule-keeping, the law? Or do you find yourself pleased in the fact that you can go sin any way you wish and, and God has to forgive you? Because that is not the Gospel. You see, if we are trusting in ourselves by doing and doing and thinking that we're putting God in our debt, we've misunderstood. You see, we don't go and do great things for God. Not at all. We do things because of God and because of who He is and because of what He has done. The true Gospel is an ability for us to rest in the acceptance of Christ, which then leads to actions flowing out of that acceptance, out of that rest, and out of that delight. We delight in the reconciling work of Christ. So in other words, it's not... Let me do in order to be accepted, but because I've been accepted, let me go and do. There's a significant difference there. So this morning as I close, please consider where do you find yourself? And maybe, maybe yet this morning is the morning for you to come and really understand and trust in the Gospel of Christ. And then that outflow is... Let me go and reach. Let me go and serve. Let me be transformed by God. Not self-transformation, but by God alone. Let's pray. Lord God, I thank you again for this morning. I thank you for your word and I thank you uh, for your son. Thank you for the work that he has done, the work of the cross. and I thank you that the message that we've seen is that we bring absolutely nothing. 
And Lord, that frees us. That frees us from a running tired in ways that we think that we're getting somewhere. We think that we're doing things. But Lord, when you break our legs and say, there's nothing you can do, now rest in the fact that it's all of me and all of my glory and all of my calling and it's all by my Son. That truly breaks our legs and breaks our pride and gives us no choice but to stand in awe and wonder and in worship. And Lord, we ask that you allow us to be a people that is motivated by the gospel, motivated by Christ and his redeeming work, to not sit, but to go and serve, to go and reach, not because it's the right thing to do, because we don't do for the reason, but because of the love you've shown us out of gratitude and out of joy. Father, we thank you for this message this morning, for the message of Galatians, and for the freedom that we have in Christ. I ask that you be honored and you be praised. And it's in his name we pray.